0: Ever been stuck? Ever do things and it just kind of backs you into a corner and you wonder what to do? You ever do that with sin? I just say sin always has babies. Have you noticed that? That you tell a lie, but you gotta tell a lie because of the lie you told and you keep gotta tell a lie to protect the lies that you've been telling. So right now we're studying King David in 2 Samuel on Wednesday night. And that's what happens to David. Like up to chapter 12, David is just Midas touch. Everything he does is brilliant. Then 2 Samuel 12 comes. And it says, when the kings went out to war, David stayed at home. Now, why? I don't know, he's tired. Been doing it for a long time, apathy. For some reason, David doesn't do what kings are supposed to do. He stays at home. And he happens to be walking on the roof of his house one day and he looks over the edge and there's a woman getting undressed to take a bath. And he should have walked away right then, but he doesn't. He watches her. What's her name? Bathsheba. And she is Bathsheba. <laughs> so he invites her over for dinner just to have a conversation, even though she's married and commits adultery with her and gets her pregnant and kills her husband. Sin always helps babies, right? David just kept getting trapped. Uh, 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 uh. That's, what, that's what happens in life. So, what do we do when we've done stuff like that, right? We repent. We gotta figure out how to get out of the lie we said or the drunken rage or the mistake and apologize to our kids or apologize to your parents or apologize to your wife or your husband, get coveted eyes on your computer, do all that stuff. And then what do we do next? Could do that. (laughs) We promise we'll never do it again. I promise I'm never gonna do this again. I promise, 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 pinky promise. And then what happens? Some will do it for a season. Maybe a year you're good, or maybe six months you're good, or three months, or one month, or one week, or one day. And then you do it again. And isn't that life? Well, we see in Scripture today one of the best mirrors for humans and how we are. It's a story of Peter, and we look at Peter, and it's like, man, that's me. That's what I say when I see Peter. And then what we see in Jesus is, that's so brilliant. So it's just an incredible section of scripture. We're gonna read a lot of scripture to begin with because we gotta get the whole story and we're gonna bounce a little bit, but we'll be in Mark chapter 14. Grab your Bible, let's go. Mark 14, 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night... Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said, emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. In verse 37, and he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Then verse 43, "'And immediately while he was still speaking, "'Judas came, one of the 12, "'and with him a crowd with swords and clubs "'from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. "'Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, "'This one I will kiss is the man. "'Seize him and lead him away under guard.'" And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And verse 53, and they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. And Peter was below in the courtyard. One of the servants, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. What a story. So Jesus says to his disciples, this night, all of you are going to abandon me. As scripture says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Scatter. Jesus had invested three and a half years in his disciples. Ate with them, traveled with them, camped with them, counseled them, talked with them, shared scripture with them, taught, just you name it, for three and a half years. And in one moment, one night, they all abandoned him. How sketchy are humans, right? How sketchy are we? And nothing's changed. Have you heard of the Stanford prison experiment with Stanley Milgram? Like it's unbelievable. He, he had this experiment he wanted to do with, at Stanford. And he took some Stanford students, made half of them prisoners and half of them guards. It was supposed to last for six days. They had to shut it down on the second day because it got too crazy. The guards got just, men, give them a badge and look out. And the prisoners became calculating and evil. It went crazy, they had to stop it or someone's gonna die. That's at Stanford, top 10 university in the world. Stanford, it's not a sketchy university like Oregon. I mean, it's top 10. That's sketchy. You guys are all gonna take off, right? And Peter, you're gonna take top prize. So why, what happens to Peter? Why does he go so far? What's the diagnosis? Well, we're gonna look at it. I think there are three things that Peter does that all of us do at some level and that leads to his denial, leads to his problem. Number one, he says this, I'm varsity. Look at verse 29. Even though they all fall away, I will not. Come on, Jesus. Jesus. I'm not like those losers. Those guys are total losers. They would totally take off. I've suspected them for three and a half years, Jesus. Totally. My eyes have been on them. Right? His competitive nature gets up. Like, I am so much better than those guys. All of your warnings and all of your advice and all of your counsel, Jesus, it doesn't apply to me. I don't need it. I'm not like those 10. I'm above the law. Yeah, they're sketchy, totally. I've been hiding my wallet for three and a half years from them. He goes, okay. I'm varsity. I'm telling you, this is the danger zone in Christianity. It's a guy by the name of Dr. Howard Hendricks. He does really good research. He looked at these MDiv and Doctors of Divinity students, 246 of them. And what they had in common was this. Within two years, they were all out of ministry. So these are MDiv doctor of divinity people, six, eight, 10 years of their life dedicated to learning how to be a pastor. And then within two years, they're gone. And you want to find out like, what's some common denominators between these guys? They were obviously dedicated. They worked at this. What happened to them? He found this. Number one, they didn't have any accountability. There's no elders that they Related to, there was no group that they were involved in. There was no people they were talking to. They were islands, just on their own, doing their own thing. Number two, they stopped seeking Jesus personally. I got it, I know it, I've read the Bible, I got the degree. I don't need that, that's for other people. Those rules, that stuff doesn't apply to me. I'm varsity, look at my degree. And then number three, all of them said this, it'll never happen to me. And yet, 80% of the 246. We're out of ministry in two years or less because of sexual sin. I'm varsity. I don't need it. Oh, look out. Yes, you do. Because here's what the Bible says. If they'd still been reading the Bible, they may have noticed this. This is 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands, I got it, I won't, take heed lest he falls. Here's what Paul would say later in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your varsityness, your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me, Paul discovered something. It's not how varsity you are, how strong you are, how good you are. In fact, it's the opposite. That's in weakness that the power of Christ rests on that. All of us have Peter convictions where we'll say these things, right? I'm never gonna do drugs, man. I don't care. All my friends do them. I'm never gonna do them. I'm never gonna get drunk. Man. I'm not gonna do that. I'm never gonna have sex before I get married. I'm gonna present myself Pure to my spouse. I'm never going to steal. I'm never. Gonna, we all have these convictions, right? Sometimes they're just silly convictions. I remember as a 16-year-old when I got my driver's license. I remember I was just amazed that you can drive 65 miles per hour. Like, that is so fast. Are you kidding me? Because I was used to years and years and years of riding my bicycle. Where, you know, my speed was normally 45 miles per hour. So... I'm like, wow, I told my mom, I will never speed 65 miles per hour is fast enough. What a stupid kid I was, <laughs> right? We have these convictions and we think, well, I'm gonna do this. We all, we all had Peter, convictions. And it's not bad to have convictions. It's can you actually back them up? you get the metal to back it up? That's the question. So Peter learned something from this. Many years later, he'll write, 1 Peter 5, 5, and this is what he says. God opposes the proud. Anyone wanna be opposed by God? You know what, I wanna walk out of here and just oppose God. Probably not, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves. That's an imperative. That's what we have to do. That's a choice we'll make. Either you'll do it or life will do it for you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So at the proper time, he may exalt you. Peter goes, oh, man, I blew it so bad. Be humble. And there's a false humility. You know what that is? When people are like, I'm so terrible. I'm such a loser. I can't do anything right. I'm such a failure. You know, people like that. When someone does that to me, you know what I do? I agree with them. Yeah, you are. Because nine out of 10 times, no, wait, I'm not that bad. I didn't say you were, you did, right? It's false, it's fake. No, humility is this. It's a right understanding of who you are. This is who I am. This is what I'm capable of. I'm reading a book right now called Ordinary Men. It was recommended by Brooke. He's a local policeman and um, uh, security guy here, great guy. And what it is, it's about Battalion 101, a group of Germans that were brought in and became policemen in World War II. And what's interesting about these policemen is this. They were born before like the, the like 1910, 1909, 1908. So they didn't grow up as Hitler youth. They weren't indoctrinated with the hate and the crazy messages. They were before that. They grew up in the normal Germany. And yet, these guys, Brought in as policemen, put in Poland, that battalion 101, 500 men were responsible for the death of 100,000 Jews in some of the most brutal ways you can, you, it's just unimaginable. Only a tiny fraction, 0.01% of them didn't engage in it. These are men who would have said before World War I, I'm a good man. I wouldn't murder somebody, I wouldn't massacre them. Yet 500 kill. 100,000, either killed them personally with a gun in their face or put them on a train to the Holocaust camps. Oh, that's what you're capable of. Be careful, right? Jesus says, be humble. Like Peter's problem, he's not listening to Jesus. That's a problem, right? You and I, we gotta come to scripture with a really, really soft heart. The Bible says, how shall a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed to the word of God? I come to the Bible and I say, where am I? Soft heart, God, where am I? Not Peter, he's varsity. I don't need this stuff. I have a saying, pride and problems are best friends. You want a bunch of problems? Be prideful. You want to get rid of it? Unfriend pride, be humble. But not Peter, number one, varsity. Number two, No preparation, verse 37. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, found them sleeping, and he says to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So they're all asleep. Who does Jesus pick out? Why does he pick out Peter? Because Peter had just been flexing. I'm not like those guys. I'm not a sleeper like them. I'm strong. I'm for you, Jesus. Ah, Peter, bro, what's up, man? How hard is it to stay awake when you're tired? I mean, that's like wrestling a grizzly bear, isn't it? I remember many years ago, I was over in India and because of my position as a pastor, when I would go to church on Sundays, they would be like, oh, you sit up front. So they had these seats like behind the preacher and you'd go up there and you'd sit down behind the preacher. So you'd be like looking out at everybody. And it's like, it's in Tamil. I don't understand Tamil. So I don't know what he's saying. I'm sure it's brilliant. Number two, it's hot. Number three, it's muggy. Number four, it's a 12 hour time difference. So I just sit down and I just be like, farting, like, Kish. And then just eventually, uh, and I felt so bad because everyone's watching me, right? I'm the one white guy. And it's January, so I'm like really, really white. Like I had one guy say, are you anemic? Because you are really white. Nah, this is just this is what I am, right? Just felt so bad. I'm sure he was preaching brilliantly, and was just, and everyone's like, what's that guy sleeping for? It's why no one sits behind me here you sleep out there <laughs> I mean I get it he's wrestling saying like just ah oh, I'm tired and Jesus says the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak our spirits are willing I want to study the Bible I want to know it well I want to get some theology I want to be involved in the church, I wanna serve, I wanna give, I wanna love, I wanna be more kind. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Oh, I'd just rather take a nap than read the Bible right now. I'll read it later. Netflix has got a new series, I gotta check it out. Instagram, Facebook, Marketplace, there's bargains I could miss. I'll just check it out for a minute. Right? It's all of us. The spirit is willing, yeah, yeah. But man, our flesh our flesh is so weak. So what's Jesus, his divine cure for him? Could you not watch and pray? Most of us know about prayer. What's this watch? Because watch and prayer are combined over and over in the New Testament. The word watch here, it's a Greek word that means like a guard, staying up all night just watching, guarding, alert. Here's what Jesus is saying to Peter bro, you know you, be alert to you. You know who you are, be alert to you. We all know how we operate. We have enough life. If you're in this service, you have enough life already. No, here's my tendencies. I got to guard against my tendencies. If you're here and you're dating some girl, you know your tendencies. You know if you go over at 9 p.m. and get cozy on the couch to watch a movie, you know what's happening next. Where'd all my clothes go? What happened? Ah, you knew. Okay, that's not a mystery. You know, if you go hang out with that one crew and you have one beer, it's not stopping in one beer. It's stopping when you're in the back of a pickup with a new face tattoo, missing your wallet in Tijuana. That's what's gonna happen. You watch, you guard yourself. You know, if that topic comes up and you start talking, it's deep fake conspiracy and you're unfriended by everybody. That's what it is. It's, you know you. Watch and pray. Jesus, I know my tendencies. I know my weaknesses. Help me. Because in Luke's account of this, Luke has Jesus saying to Peter in this same thing, Satan has requested you. Satan's got his eye on you, Peter. He wants to sift you like wheat. It's coming for you, bro. This is more just your... Flesh is weak. This is, you are under the attack of an enemy. Look out. He had no prep. What do we need to do? We need to be prepared, don't we? We gotta be prepared. The Bible says this about this Christian walk that we're on. It says it's actually a marathon. It's Hebrews 12. Run this race with endurance. This isn't a 50-yard dash. This is pounding out mile after mile after mile, run with endurance. Who here could run a marathon right now? You guys know the original story? Right, there's a battle, Pheidippides, they win it. Pheidippides has said, hey, you gotta run 26.2 miles to Athens and tell them we won because they just sent another army around the back and they're gonna act like they won the battle and the, the gates will be open for them. You gotta get to Athens, so they close up the city. So Pheidippides runs 26.2 miles, gets into the city, says, we've won, and then he dies. Who here to save Grants Pass could right now stand up and run 26.2 miles? Right? Who after six months of preparation could run and save the city of Grants Pass? Any one of us. 80-year-olds run marathons every single weekend. It's all about preparation. The Bible is saying, be prepared. Life is a trial. Satan doesn't wait for the tip off. Tests aren't reserved for school hours. It's coming at you anytime, anywhere, and you've got to be ready. It does not give you advance warning. So you gotta be ready. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. But when you're varsity, you don't need to. says varsity, no prep. And then he gives it his best. Verse 46. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. He gives it his best. Cuts off a guy's ear. Now, just to give him a little bit of credit, Passover had just gotten over. Peter would have drank three glasses of wine, just woke up from a nap. The one thing he remembers is this. I promised Jesus I would fight for him. Okay, (sighs) and slashes. So I get it. He's trying to keep his oath. He's trying to do what he promised Jesus that he would do. Praise the Lord, he has bad aim. But he's giving his best, right? That's what he's doing. I'm not one of those bad disciples that's just gonna give up and not fight for you, Jesus. I'm a good disciple. And then verse 54. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Whoa. Now I know some preachers will take this and be like, this is problem's, Peter's problem. He was following Jesus at a distant. And because he was following Jesus at a distant, then he ended up warming himself at the enemy's fire, catching the sinnies, because it's contagious, and then denying Jesus. So do not follow Jesus afar and don't hang out at Starbucks. You'll catch the cities. right? That's not what's being said here. What's Peter doing? He's doing his best. He's trying to keep his promise. He marches in and sits at the high priest's courtyard with the guards. Peter here is saying, I am going to give it my best. I am putting myself in harm's way. I'm in the enemy's camp. I'm doing it. I'm keeping my promise. I'm not like the bad 10. Look at me. Here I am. It's accountability groups. It's software on your phone. It's I'm trying my best. I got this stuff. All the rest are gone. I'm still here. Look at Jesus. So how does it work out for him? Let's take a look. Verse 66. I just love this verse. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. I love it's a little girl. It's not a Roman soldier. It's not the high priest's guard. It's not a priest. It's a little innocent Nice girl. She's the one. Because we're ready for the Roman soldier. And we're ready for the guards. But we're not always ready for the little girls. The things that we think, ah, that's no problem. It's the little girl that gets him. So what does Peter say? But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out the gateway, and the rooster crowed. That's so funny to me. So he doesn't deny or confirm anything right there, right? He's ambiguous. I don't know what you mean. I don't know. You're just so confusing. What you, what you just said, I, what? That doesn't make any sense. What did she say? That you were with the Nazarene Jesus. What? That's so confusing. Like, it's so funny. He's being ambiguous here, isn't he? He's trying to hold on to his righteousness as hard as he can. So he's deliberately walking around it. Like kids do when you trap them, right? They say things, you're like, wait a second, that doesn't quite make sense. They try to be as ambiguous as possible to not let you know if they're lying or not. There's a guy, he's a professor, and he has this whole thing that, like, <clears throat> he calls it um, the lexicon of ambiguously. Inconspicuously recommendations So it's when someone says Hey would you recommend me for this job Or recommend me to go to school And you can't recommend them It's how to say it in a way that's so ambiguous So I just grabbed a couple of them I thought they were totally funny To describe a person who is totally inept I most enthusiastically recommend this candidate With no qualifications whatsoever How good is that? Here's another one. To describe an ex employee who had problems getting along with fellow workers. I am pleased to say that this candidate is a former colleague of mine. (laughs) To describe a candidate who is so unproductive that the job would be better left unfilled. I can assure you that no person would be better for the job. This is what Peter's doing. Hey, you're with the Nazarene Jesus. What? You're so confused. I don't understand what you're saying. Huh? That's silly, right? So what happens? He knows right now he's going to be exposed, doxed. He knows it could get really dangerous. So he walks away, kind of walks over to the gate Kind of stands over there like, I can't take this crazy, confusing girl. And he's standing over there and here's what she does. And the servant girl saw him and began to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them. You are a Galilean. So he's over there by himself now. He hasn't walked away from Jesus. He's just walked away from that confusing girl and the fire, but she keeps saying, he's a Jesus guy, he's a Jesus guy, he's a Jesus guy, right? So Peter's like, oh no. What do you think he's thinking at this point? I should have run away with the other 10. That's what he's thinking. I blew it. I'm gonna end up dead. So he keeps denying, like, I don't know who this is. Who are you saying I follow? What's his name? Jesse? Jesus? Jimmy? What? I don't even know his name, like, right? But the more he talks, here's what happens. He's got an accent. He's from Galilee. You ever meet somebody and you can just tell immediately where they're from from their accent? Yeah, right? I did some work as an engineer in the deep south, not like Atlanta, it was Savannah River and it's a tiny town and the people that were there I could not understand. I worked with two texts, I couldn't understand a word they said. They'd be like, <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, that's what we should do. Go right ahead. So what I was gonna do, right? The only word I could understand was NASCAR. And they'd be like, I'm going to NASCAR. I'd be like, Dale Earnhardt, man. Love the guy. That was our conversation. NASCAR, Dale Earnhardt. That was it. It gives him away. He's a Nazarene. He's from Galilee. You're from that region as well. This is checkmate for Peter. He has been boxed into a corner. So, what does he do? Verse 71. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. I do not know this man of whom you speak. The ESV is really nice to Peter. It says he invoked a curse on himself. The only problem with that is in the Greek, it's just one word, anathematize. There's no pronoun for himself. It's just he began to curse. And it's not swearing a bad word. It's he's calling a curse down on someone. So if you have a NASB Bible, it gets it right. Young's Little Translation gets it right. King James Version gets it right. It just says curse because that's all that's there. So who was he cursing? What was he cursing? What was he anathematizing? Here's the thing. A student would never, ever, ever curse his rabbi. Peter knows this. He's been boxed into a corner. He's been backed up, backed up, backed up. It is getting very dangerous for him. He knows this. There is one way out of this situation. If I curse Jesus, everyone will know he must not be one of his because no student curses his rabbi. So who does Peter curse? He curses Jesus and it works. They leave him alone. They leave him alone to hear a rooster's crow and he weeps bitterly because his failure is so much worse than anyone else. It finally boxed him in. It finally got him in a corner. Finally, all his righteousness he'd been holding on to, all his, I'm so much better than them, failed. He was a hundred times worse than any of the other 10. That's how it ends. How brutal is that? Every one of us are gonna have Mark 14 moments. Do you know that? The job that you really want, perfect job, and then they present you with their diversity, inclusion, equity statement that you have to agree to. That girl that you're dating and she is hot. Oh, she's hot. I always tell young men, "Yep, so is hell." Okay. And then one time as you're getting to know each other a little bit better, she's like, you're not a Christian, are you? (laughs) Mm. On the job site, all the guys are gathered around looking at a phone. Dude, check out this chick. Come here, dude, check out this chick. What are you going to do? There's the marijuana joint being passed around and it comes to you. What are you going to do? These are people you like. These are people you want to be friends with. The drugs are being passed around all of us at some point in some way are going to be pushed into a corner the police are asking you questions you know if you answer that question correctly you know it could happen to you we're all at some point our righteousness what we claim what we hold on to we will be cornered i love this section because it weaves the trial of jesus together with the trial of peter cuz life is a trial Life's a trial. That's what it is. So we learn from this. Three simple lessons and we're done. Number one, life will ruin your righteousness. Do you know that? Whatever you think, whatever your Peter moment is, I'm not like them. Okay, you just blew it. Life's gonna corner you. You're gonna be just like them. Life will ruin your righteousness. And I think everyone in here is old enough to know that already. If you're still thinking you're righteous, okay, put it on your day planner. It's coming for you. You will be cornered eventually, just like Peter was. He kept trying to find a way out. There was no way out until finally he lost his righteousness. It will corner you. It might happen when you're leaving and you hit traffic on the way out of here. There goes your righteousness. It's coming. Number two, so solve the puzzle. Solve the puzzle. Here's what I mean. Peter... Was fighting this as hard as he could, wasn't he? Pulls out a sword, follows Jesus into the enemy camp. He's right with the guards sitting at the fire. I mean, he is trying to show himself look at Jesus, I'm, I'm gonna keep my word to you. He fought it as hard as you possibly could fight it. And what happened to him? It got messy in a hurry, more messy than the other 10. He got solved the puzzle. You know those Chinese finger puzzles? You know the ones where you put your finger in it, and the harder you pull, the more it pulls on you, and the the more. How do you get out of a Chinese puzzle? You gotta relax. Peter figures it out. He relaxes. He gives up. He just gives up. In John 21, it says, I'm going fishing. And he goes out fishing. He's given up totally. And guess who shows up? Jesus shows up. And Jesus, three times for every denial, three times Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than these? What are the these that he's talking about? The disciples. You said last time we talked, I love you more than all of them. They're gonna all run from you. They're sketchy humans, not me. So Jesus is now asking him, do you feel the same way now, Peter? Do you still think you're better than these guys are? Do you love me more than these? And the third time, Peter responds. It's in the Greek. He doesn't even use the word love. He uses the word like. I like you, Jesus. No bragging. No arrogance. No, I'm righteous and I'll do this. He's broken. Humble. And then Jesus says, brilliant. Feed my lambs. Now you can lead my church. How different is that? He doesn't get canceled. Statues don't get torn down of him, right? None of that happens to him. It's the exact opposite. Finally, Peter, you gave up on your righteousness, how great you are, how much better you are than everyone else. You gave up on it all. Now you can lead my church. You can preach the first message and 3,000 people will get saved. You can be the pillar of the church at Jerusalem. Now, because you finally solved it, because you finally figured it out, because you finally gave up on your righteousness. Why are we so disappointed in ourselves? Because we try to be our own savior. Why do we have so much guilt and so much angst at ourselves? Because we're not as righteous as we think we are. Right? Why do people have that inferiority complex, which is the reverse of the same thing? It's still selfish, it's still focused on me. It's because we're so clinging to these things that make me better than everyone else. And life will strip you of those things. You're going to fight that and fight that and be stuck in it, or you're going to, like Peter, just give up and say, I'm not. I'm not. The biggest disappointment in the world is me. My biggest disappointment is not the president or the speaker of the house or the government or the city council. My biggest disappointment, Matt Heverly. I am my biggest disappointment. So, what do we do? You got to invest in the kingdom economy. How does the kingdom economy work? Jesus came to bring a whole new economy. How does it work? Why are you righteous? Why are you forgiven? Why are you loved, right? You gotta answer those questions because the kingdom economy is so different. Like, just take this one. How are you forgiven of your sins? For a long time, here's what I thought happened. I thought there was like this, that Jesus is our advocate, literally lawyer. There's like this heavenly courtroom and God the judge is on the throne and the father is up there and Jesus comes in with just my stack of sins and okay, Matt blew it again. Oh man, he should know better. He's a pastor, I know, but he doesn't. So here it is, Jesus is saying, as my advocate, father, please forgive him. Please be merciful. Please be grace, have grace on Matt, right? You ever have that in your idea in your mind? And the father's like, okay, one more time because of the cross, because of what you did. Okay, one more time. How precarious is that? How thin is that? Right? Is that why you're forgiven? Listen to 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and merciful, faithful and grace, faithful and loving, faithful and kind. No. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why just? That doesn't seem like it fits. seems like it should be merciful or gracious, right? Why the just? Because here's what actually happens. When I blow it again, Jesus says, Father, forgive Matt. Forgive him because I paid for that sin 2,000 years ago on the cross. And it would be unjust, Father, for you, get, for you to get paid twice for the same sin. And the Father says, case dismissed, paid in full. Every time, every sin, every believer in Jesus, that's the good news. That is the seed that when that actually gets into your heart, cracks the hardest habits of humans. That's where change comes. Titus 2:12 says this it's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. What teaches me? My convictions and my gritted teeth, Christianity, and my oh, I'm gonna do it like Peter. No, it's when grace actually cracks the hardness of my heart, it teaches me something. It transforms the kind of person I am. That's what we need. That's what I try to preach here day in and day out. Let grace train you. Let grace train you. Because humans are sketchy. And Jesus is not. So keep your eyes on him. So as we take communion today, there's one savior it's Jesus Christ. Let him be your savior, let him be your righteousness. Everything else is icing, if you would, on the cake. Nothing wrong with accountability groups, I'm not against them, but apart from Jesus, failure. Nothing wrong with software on your phones, nothing wrong, apart from Jesus, failure that grace is the gasoline that makes everything go in the Christian faith. And so Jesus today, I know that I will this day, this week, still cling to some reason why I'm better than everyone else, why I'm righteous, why I'm not like them. And I wanna be healed from that because I'm just a man. And so I pray for myself, I pray for every one of us that as we partake in you today, the good seed will be pressed into our hearts and will produce the good fruit of humility. Let's eat together. We hold the cup. We are forgiven because of your justice. You have paid the penalty for all of my sins, past, present, and future. It is paid in full. May we drink of your just forgiveness. Let's drink. Amen so we offer prayer after this service there'll be people standing up here if you need prayer for anything big, small meat doesn't matter come get prayed for we offer baptism right over here talk with Chad he'll explain to you what it means salvation is Jesus as savior free nothing you can do given unearned undeserved baptism is obeying Jesus not just as your savior but as your king and your Lord you're submitting to what he says be baptized okay I'll obey and it can be a moment for me in my life it was a massive moment massive change for me a peace that passes all understanding flooded my heart when I came out of those waters I can't explain it gift a gift of grace so if today's your day we're saying I want that I want Jesus as king talk to Chad be baptized. Would you stand for one final song?